Hey gang, welcome to episode 33 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive and interactive events. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, speaking to you here from Los Angeles. Today on the show, we've got the folks from Play Collaborative Arts, that'd be Cole Rosner, Meredith Trinan, and Scott Monahan. Uh, they've produced a few shows I've seen here in LA the past couple of years. Uh, Retrograde and Erotica are two of them playing in the immersive space. There's also uh, used to be a, a fairly regular uh, short play night that had an interactive drinking game component. Uh, that was the that was the Tiny Rhino event uh, produced in association with the folks in New York, Ugly Rhino, uh, who are their sort of their soulmates in this space. Um, that conversation uh, is gonna is gonna delve into a lot of fun stuff. Uh, we're talking about their last show, Erotica. We're talking about sort of you know erotically charged environments and immersive experiences. Uh, I share I share a little too much. Maybe they share a little too much. It's going to be fun. Uh, but also at the end, we get into some of the, the trials and tribulations of running uh, essentially an, an underground kind of off the grid art space in L.A. and the things that you can kind of run up against. And this is something in terms of finding space to put things on is something that everybody in town is struggling with whether they're working in the immersive space or they're a traditional theater. Um, and there's probably going to be a lot more talk about that this year. Um, I've got some ideas for people we can talk to and sort of issues we can look at. Because whereas immersive and interactive can kind of pick up and, and colonize a venue and then move on, you start to run out of new spaces to go to, but you also run into, I don't know, there's this all kinds of issues you can go there, so we're going to be looking at that a lot this year, for various reasons. Uh, but first, before we get in that, uh, let's do some news and notes. I want to start off with a correction. Uh, this last issue of New York, uh, we didn't get the update to the dates on Eight Players. In Eight Players is the uh, sort of role playing esque immersive experience that's getting a lot of buzz in New York City. And they keep extending. The show's in one of those spaces where uh, they're due like a, a two-month extension, hopefully perpetually, like every few weeks. Uh, that means that sometimes the, the information gets a little uh, cross-wired on our side, not on their side. But I just want to let you know that the show has been extended through March. Uh, I don't know if it's going to go past that. I'm hoping it will because I won't be in New York City till like April at the earliest, and that's if I'm lucky. And I'd like to check the show out, uh, but that's neither here nor there at the moment. That's just a personal wish on my side of things. Um, hey, so that's that's the big uh, programming note in terms of the newsletter. So if you're in New York City and you're like, oh, I missed it. No, you didn't. You got a chance. Uh, if you're outside of New York City, you're like, that sounds really cool. I want to go there, but it's already over. Well, if you're going there, you got a chance. That's the message behind this. Hey, uh, speaking of different regions, um, let's talk up the San Francisco issue because that's something uh, we had Albert on along with Zay last week, but I, I didn't wax poetic about what Albert did with the San Francisco edition. I am super happy with where it's at. It is way better than what I was able to put on by remote. It has its own flavor. 
it is a lot more gamey for but not like like venison gamey or pheasant gamey but just like you know like like play gamey i mean you knew that's what i meant but i just i look i took a lot of improv classes it does it did things to my brain i'm sorry um uh it's its own thing it feels very bay area now um that makes me happy i don't think there's anything else for me to say uh other than i hope albert continues in that vein and i hope that uh the folks in san francisco who are just starting to pick up we had like a big explosion he's a popular guy a big explosion in the subscription base there and i hope everyone's enjoying it and i hope some of them are discovering the podcast uh hello if you are discovering the podcast yes it's always like this i apologize in advance uh i maybe had too much coffee today and the sad thing is i only had one cup and yet somehow I'm wired to the nines. Um, hey, speaking of newsletters, we also launched the West Coast edition. What? That's right. There's a separate West Coast edition. Now, we do cover LA and SF in there, but I only allow a couple of highlights uh, from the cities that we publish, you know, the, the long lists in uh, that... Uh, issue really exists for folks who are up in seattle portland down in san diego over in las vegas and let's face it it's west coast even though it's like you know in a desert very far away from the water uh everyone goes there so f it it's part of the west coast regional um hey uh if you know of shows in any of these cities please let us know. We do face the same problem we faced in San Francisco and that we're sort of operating by remote. The upshot is that there's enough cities covered in it that we can basically fill a star cruiser um, and there'll always be listings no matter what. But I want to do better because I like to do better. Simple as that. Spelling not part of doing better. Um, I'm excited because Seattle's got uh, an, a Romeo and Juliet over at, I think they call it R&J, at uh, Seattle Immersive. Portland's got some interesting stuff going on. I had to dig around to find that. Um, there's nothing in Las Vegas that I could find at the moment, but there were some stuff last year, and I feel like there's going to be more. So really, uh, it's a great time to be exploring these spaces, and it's my personal hope that uh, I will get to personally explore these spaces uh, for real in the coming months. That's really up to a lot of other things, though. I'm scheming, guys, but then again, you know that. I'm always scheming. Uh, let's see. That's the new edition. Um, hey. Um, oh. Oh. Um, look, I don't want to put any spoilers out there. And I don't want to tease specifically something that is just in the early stages, but I think we're going to get a new edition maybe as early as February. Uh, it'll probably be a new monthly edition. It'll be in a place we have barely talked about, but really we should talk about. And I am incredibly excited uh, if we actually get to do this. I will tell you what's up with that as soon as the deal is done. The deal being that someone is brave enough to step up and do this, because as you all know, ain't no money in this. Um, part of that's because we absolutely refuse to take advertising dollars from any company. We will always do that. That is a matter of integrity for us. Um, 
it's stupid in some ways. Uh, we could sell ad space in this newsletter at this point of to because of our highly motivated user base, blah, blah, blah. But I hate that noise. I really, really hate that noise. Uh, it's hard enough to keep people. Um, that's not true. I was about to say it's hard enough to keep people reading it because it's not like you guys are amazing. And like we get very few unsubscriptions and like there's like the ratio is something like 30 or 40 new subscribers to every single person who unsubscribes. And I swear, sometimes I see the same people unsubscribing like every couple of months. It's like, wait a second, you unsubscribe, then you resubscribe. What are you doing? There's one of you in particular I'm thinking of right now who's probably listening to this. What are you doing? Um, it drives me nuts. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not all that bad, but really, it just kind of drives me a little nuts. Anyway, uh, this is going too long. Uh, the point being that there is only one way we get money. Oh, here it comes. You knew it was coming. I haven't talked about it in a minute. Uh, it's the Patreon. The Patreon is incredibly useful. If you don't know about it, it's patreon.com slash noproscenium. That's how we fund this podcast. That's how we got this microphone. That's how we got Zay his microphone, which we are putting to good use ASAP. Um, one day we may get Albert a microphone. Uh, not that I think he actually wants to be doing the podcast on the regular, but hey, that's a conversation between him and me. The point is that we make this better and we make the newsletter better uh, with the help of just a dollar here and a dollar there. Uh, I'm a big crowdfunding booster. Uh, I'm a big believer in what Patreon does. Uh, and I, But I think the true power of it doesn't come from getting a bunch of really well-off people to drop 50 bucks here and $100 there. It's getting everybody who finds value in what's happening to just toss a dollar. You know, that's that's as much as a cup of coffee at Locool costs. If you don't know what Locool is, L-O-C-O-L. No, not no, two L. There is not a second O after the C. Uh, look it up. It's a really, really cool project um, that is not immersive. It's about food and one dollar coffee. Um, but hey, thank you for everybody who backs the podcast, you are saints. And for those of you who listen to the podcast on the regular and get the newsletter on the regular, uh, and if you find it within yourself to drop a dollar a month, I, I really don't want people to do much more than that uh, unless they're like super passionate. Uh, that would be incredibly helpful. Um, so that's the ask going before the interview. Gonna wrap this up in just two seconds. Some of you have been having trouble getting the newsletter because for some reason it's going to spam in your folders, so check, if you haven't been getting the newsletter, check your junk mail. Uh, it could be a way that, you know how email is. The servers have ratcheted a ganoctagozoink and all of a sudden MailChimp is going to junk mail where it wasn't before. Could be because you haven't been opening it, you know, you miss opening a couple because of whatever reason, and then next thing you know, your computer's like, oh, you don't really wanna get this. And then I have people saying like, why am I not getting any more? And I'm like, well, you're on the list. Um, and I'm not saying it's your fault. It's not your fault. It's the computer's fault. Don't you love having computers to blame for everything? I really do. Uh, it's the computer's fault. And luckily, you can fix it. So check your junk mail and see if you've got no proscenium's hanging out there because you're missing good stuff. Like like the LA issue this, this time out, I really thought we were going to have nothing. And I found like a couple of shows, one of which sounds really cool. 
uh, H&G. It's a retelling of Hansel and Gretel. It's a music-focused show. Gonna see it. Gonna write a review. Um, there's some interactive haunt-type experience stuff. I'm checking out a preview of next week that I'm absolutely terrified. It's not actually a haunt. It's a rebirth experience. I'm freaked out, guys. Uh, I, 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 I don't actually want to do this, but I'm going to do it. It's, it's at that level. All right. Look, this has been, as usual, way too long, but I missed you. I missed you so much. Uh, someone sat there thinking he missed the sound of his own voice. And if you knew how many times I took to start this, you would not think that. Um, hey, I love the kids at Play Collaborative Arts. They're brilliant. And there's a call to, there's not so much a call to action at the end of this, but a prep to call to action at the end of this. So listen to the episode, get yourself ready, uh, a little more on that after the interview. Here we go. Hey everybody, we are here at Play Collaborative Arts Venue, and I'm going to let the gang uh, describe uh, and identify themselves. I'll start on my left, uh, which... Well, maybe it'll maybe it works in the stereo mix. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think it actually does. So it's my left and the listeners all throughout their brain. So go for it. Hi, I'm Meredith Trinan. I'm Cole Rosner. And I'm Scott Monahan. All right. Um, I've had the distinct pleasure of seeing uh, a few of the shows that y'all have put on together. And um, why don't why don't just sort of to the kind of orient everybody. Uh, the, the last show I saw was back in November, and so maybe when you can like give sort of the elevator pitch, and we're gonna dig into some of the details on it, but like even just like you know, the little the little tiny version of, of the show. I don't know if Cole, if you want to tackle that. Sure. Cole's got the the honor of being directly across from me, so like I'm gonna wind up defaulting to her a lot. Okay, Apologies great. in advance. No worries. Okay, so you saw Retrograde. Yes, I did. Last November, um, and at Play Collaborative Arts and with a theater company that we partner with a lot, Ugly Rhino Productions out of New York. Um, We do collaboratively devised um, immersive shows or interactive or environmental. We use all different types of words and we really play with the form and we use non-traditional spaces. So the show that you saw started with a journey across um, relationships between men and women, but we looked into polyamory, we looked into gender roles, we looked into different periods when men and women might have had conflict or the ways in which we communicate over time. And we used a lot of multimedia. And I would say many of the elements we used in retrograde, we carried on to our next collaboratively devised piece that you saw as well, erotica, although different some of the same same elements there's definitely there's definitely a thematic line between that I want to I want to stay kind of rooted in erotica today uh, maybe in all sense of that phrase um, <laughs> there's, there's double entendres a go-go because um, one of the things I thought interesting there was that when you guys uh, put it out you put it out as the idea that this was like a sort of a, a literary inspired almost the Bible almost that like it was a lit mag come to life and you had the programs had short stories in them and then each of those short stories sort of came to life in the in the pieces that we all wound up seeing so talk me through the development of like what this actually before we do that this there's there's a seed uh, that's in both of the shows that I thought was really interesting. Uh, and it's this tiniest little detail. And if you're not looking for details, I don't know if you necessarily find it, but you guys hide notes 
from the show's development, either like for, I remember for Retrograde, they were like on the wall of the, the entrance. And for this one, they were tucked into books. Like you opened up like this like treasure trove of notes and I was like, oh, oh, this looks like the pathways of when they were developing. So like, what's the impetus there? Because it's just one of those little tiny threads that I feel like if I start pulling, I might be able to unravel the sweater. Like, Scott looks like he's got Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I, for the experience that I think that it creates, for the audience member to find that spool of thread or to look at the wall and see kind of where the process came from before they go and see the show is it is interesting because specifically for LA-based audiences and just immersive theater is something that's kind of, it's got a lot of ground to um, explore and it's a new idea for a lot of people. So to be able to see a way in which that we devise a show collaboratively together with multiple directors and multiple writers and producers and everyone kind of having a hand in the things you see almost I mean the wall for retrograde was artwork <laughs> it's yeah. what it felt like for us putting it up of these things should these things are art the way that we draw these up or the, write these things that they're worth looking at yeah exploring or explaining some of the show's character or heart Meredith, Cole, you wanna? Yeah, expand? I was just gonna say also that I think it's important for us to give people, like Scott was saying, sort of a glimpse into the window of our process um, because our work is so collaborative. Um, just to give people just like a little snippet of what that looks like for us as developers of a show like this. Yeah, it, for me it's interesting because it feels like you're getting a chance to see the actual DNA, like if you were to encode out and write out the DNA of the show and you start to see like, oh, oh here are the thoughts that are going. Uh, it's like having a, a map. And because the, the space is being used in a, in a non-traditional way and, and for, for erotica, like aggressively used in a non-traditional way, um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that, that. That having that... Have no, knowing, almost like like knowing there's a map, knowing that somewhere you can you get to see the brain was there and like asking the question, how do we make this all work? Um, and so I guess the next question for the sh on this particular show is, it's a devised process, and yet there was also text in form of the story. So chicken and the egg here were there texts and then there were the pieces or were there the pieces and then the, the text nodding and then cold guy um i i was gonna say it was a little bit of both we you know we started this process um with collaborative rehearsals and we were just doing writing exercises mm -hmm. and it was very stream of consciousness and we were just you know there are pieces that are you know word for word from a 20-minute exercise um, or pieces in the program that you mentioned that were, you know, straight from a writing exercise with pretty minimal editing after that. Um, so it was a little bit of, of both. Yeah, we, I think that what we're developing here as a venue or as a group of artists, this collaborative style, it's not new in theater. Theater is always collaborative. It's a bunch of people get in a room and you have to design it and produce it and direct it and write it and watch it and light it and all the things. 
Um, but from the impetus of the piece to take devising to the next level where there really is no hierarchy and we're open to all ideas. So we come in and in the rehearsal process, we have someone lead a, a vocal warm up, and then we have somebody lead a writing exercise and maybe after the writing exercise, somebody has an idea to do um, something on our feet and we're and on our feet. On our feet. <laughs> <laughs> all of our feet. And we do improvisation for a while and we write it down or we don't, that kind of thing. Um, and then we do a lot of coming together. So we have all these seemingly disparate um, exercises and then we will see a thread. Even in the process of one rehearsal, we'll see a thread. Oh, well, we did that exercise and that led us to trying out this vocal warm up, and I loved the way that sounded and that gave me that guttural feel of the, when we when we were doing around the table stories and and so from there it just the threads started to make parts of the quilt I guess and so um, some of some of the vignettes were a script that we said okay we're gonna work on now we're gonna work on staging this and some of the vignettes were um, the dance piece that came that was in the romance barn for instance that was from a story we just thought was really beautiful and we didn't necessarily want it to be dialogue based or come into a full scene. We just loved the essence of it and we thought how can we use it through movement. So all of those things came from different people across the 15 to 20 artists that were part of the collaborative rehearsals from day one. Now did you, did you guys start with the knowledge that you were moving towards the idea of erotica? Like was it it's like, okay, we're going to do a show, we're going to call it erotica. You guys are nodding. So so when did that, you mentioned that some of it, it does clearly carry over from retrograde. Like yeah. there's there's a vibe, there are pairings even in, in the piece because, right. you know, why why try and fix what's already working, right? Yeah. You know, there's like no reason, like, those two are really good together. Let's make sure they've got a scene. that again, yeah. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, when was when was that? Did that come out of like a, a small conversation or like one of the big yeah. kind of group discussions? We did a debrief after retrograde, and we talked mm. about what we learned. We always do debriefs. debrief. You said yes, <laughs> we did. Um, we We're going to turn this one into a drinking game of double entendres. So <laughs> I should announce that. I should announce at the beginning. Maybe we'll do that in the cold open because you guys do a drinking game when you do Tiny Rhinos. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. We so, have ginger tea. We could add some booze. <laughs> <laughs> Not us. That'll, that'll cause more of them and then everyone will die by the end of the drinking game. Anyway, uh, sorry. So you guys did a debrief. Yes, we did a debrief and we talked about the things from Retrograde that we liked and we talked about all the ideas we had during Retrograde. Mm. The next show we do, let's do this. Or I want to continue that theme. You know, for instance, the pairing, some of the pairings you thought, it's like, oh, I really liked working with that person. And from that, there was a spin-off Tiny Rhino. The short play series might have something that was Retrograde-esque or they went off and wrote a short film together or whatever it was. All the different pairings of director, writer, actors sort of um, suss themselves themselves out organically. And then project-wise, at, the at the debrief, we looked at all the major ideas we had, and I meditated a lot on what resonated the most across all collaborators, and one of, the, one of them was um, erotica. We had talked about writing erotica or staging erotica, looking at erotic art over time, um, in all the different forms that erotic art can be, 
And so we sat down and we sort of on big pieces of paper said, okay, we've got the erotica idea and we've got this, we want to stage Brave New World in a big immersive futuristic way and we want to continue Tiny Rhino in this way. Like what, what resonates the most in that we want to do first? And we just talked about it for a while, and it really like it came to the surface. We were so excited to start work on something to do with erotica, and then from there we just scheduled the collaborative rehearsals every Wednesday, and then from, that is all we knew at that moment in time when we started to do the rehearsals. <coughs> Did it come a point? Well, actually, Mary, because you started. Oh, I was going to say that I think the idea of erotic work was sort of in our collaborative zeitgeist with all of our collaborators sort of individually. It was sort of coming up in like little side conversations, um, I think with most of us for a while. So it was it was kind of a fun project to be able to come in. And weirdly, things, projects that people had done before they even came to play collaborative yeah. arts. It's like, oh yeah, I've yeah. always done plays having to do with sexual awakening or I've always yeah. done plays that that wanted to push the boundaries on relationships or whatever it was, yeah. so it was cool. Well, and there's something charged about the intimacy that this kind of, that the open frame immersive space kind of takes us into, because it's like the more, the more the audience gets drawn in and the more of a channel opens up between the, the, the performers and the audience, the more that vulnerability starts to be explored it's almost like we, we instantly, you know, skip the track on the CD and it's like, okay, boom. Like, there's something charged mm -hmm. here. You know, it's like, oh, well, if we're going to start going here, boom. Like, like Breaking boundaries. Yeah, like that, that sense of the taboo. And, and even, even though it, it can, even if it just works on, like, a symbolic level, right? Because there's sometimes, well, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, and sometimes, like, sex in a show is just about sex. Sometimes it's really the sex is a metaphor for the intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. It's like this inversion, I suppose, like, oh, intimacy is a metaphor for sex. It's like, no, like, like it, there's something, we, we go to the visceral because we're exploring the emotional and even exploring the, the intellectual. It's like, back into it. I think that was one of the most important things for me, or for a lot of us, um, something that we talked about in a lot of the rehearsals, was how important it was to feel as performers in these rehearsal processes and going into this erotic work that everybody was comfortable, that everybody felt safe, that everybody was open and exploring some of these these um, materials and themes that are are not always looked at. I mean, if I hadn't really thought about my sexuality or my sexual—I mean, I am a sexual being. I am a human. I, you know, but to really look into the things that, like, what is erotic about this? You know, what is about this scene? And what is important here? And to hold that in the rehearsal process and then in the performance process to hold that, to let that audience come in and, and be able to feel vulnerable with us yeah. and also safe and also feel like they are discovering or exploring every night of that show with us, which was what makes some of that immersive part really magical. It's like, you're right here. You're seeing this interaction between these two people who are really just opening themselves up totally to this audience in a very vulnerable position. And you're right there with them. And that's magic to me, like feeling that connection. And I, I think, I feel like maybe what, specifically what you might be referencing is there is a, there's a, a sequence that culminates with a, a BDSM scene uh, which 
was as interesting to watch. And like, like you guys can determine how much of that you know we'll we'll, we'll get into because you guys were, were. I was just watching. You guys were the ones doing the doing the show. Um, the what was interesting to me about that was watching the audience as much as like watching you guys and like particularly because it it became this tour. Like I found the whole. That, that was the carnival sequence that culminated in that. I found the whole carnival sequence and idea really, really interesting. And like, it was like the most, the most interactive part of the show in a, in a way. And it almost felt like, oh, you could do like a whole, you could just do one of those. Like you do a whole night that was fetish just- town. Fetish town. Fetish town, yeah. Fetish, you could just do fetish town for a night. Uh, and like stage that like all over the space and like have people going around, particularly if people are getting drunk and there's like more eats and whatnot. Then you could just like throw- Yeah, tokens, just throw a fetish town carnival, like have like 12 fetish town stations. And then it culminated in, in, this, in this BDSM scene, which is, which was, felt like something you could see at a BDSM club. Like, if you have to be the kind of person who's been to one of those. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I have. I'm also saying maybe I lived in the Bay Area in the 90s. You know, I mean, just these things happen. Um, but uh, that being said, it was fascinating to watch the crowd at that. And I wonder if, you, I mean, two of you had more active roles in mm-hmm. there, but one of you was got to kind of, stalk the periphery of of that scene um did you find yourself watching the crowd did you yeah. and, and did, did the two of you kind of know i mean i don't want to spoilers i guess but like did did you were you aware of the crowd like going so cold yeah 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 <laughs> we we had a lot of I, I love the worst. I love the word safety mm-hmm. because we did put that into our minds for rehearsals and for performance. And then we really pushed each other to go as deep as we possibly could within that context. Yeah. Um, and so there were times in rehearsals where I thought, we can't do that. We can't do that. <laughs> and somebody would be like, why? Why not? They show that in films. This is something that is deeply erotic or will bring something up in someone that might be good or bad, but it's not up to us to say how they're going to react to it. And we just show it. We say we show it with our own artistic integrity and we know why we're doing it and we're interested in it. We're thrilled by it. Let's go for it. So I had all of that in me, but I also had um, the feelings in rehearsals or even in tech or even going from the page to staging it. I was like, we're really going to have <laughs> the team do that like that is really yeah. a lot for us but we we wanted to go there and we yeah. felt strongly about it and we, it was almost this power behind all of us as a group saying let's do it we feel safe we're going to make them feel safe and will we commit to that so when I watched the audience and I saw the varying degrees of being comfortable or not being comfortable being thrilled being excited wanting more yeah couldn't get close enough or had, was walk pacing around and closing their eyes and shaking their head. It was there's a lot of space for me to hold to not assume what they were feeling. Mm-hmm. Did they hate it? Did they love it? Did it bring something good up in them? Did it bring something bad up in them? Yeah. Did they think we were going too far? It really wasn't my job to know any of that as a performer. My job was to stay consistent in the performance, and it was hard across the the run. But by the end, I found a lot of confidence in it. And I felt that overall the feedback was even the people who were shaking their heads and closing their eyes and, and pacing around and they couldn't take it were they were tweeting that it was so thrilling and yeah. and, and <laughs> it's like the and, most thrilling thing. And, and, and I think that's 
great. So I couldn't know. I thought they were really having yeah. a hard time, and maybe they were. But afterwards, they felt okay. So I made it through. And yeah, I wasn't hurt, and that's okay. That's the, and that's a big thing. Like in the moment, you might be super uncomfortable, and and for some people, I could probably imagine it might be like triggering, and they just like whoop down out the rabbit hole and they, they check out. Mm. I, some of some of what I was um, being the involved in the scene. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, we could get technical if we want to, but go for it. Yeah, <laughs> I just didn't want to say the wrong term because yeah. it's still such a new, it's a new territory for me of, of exploring that. But um, Oh, that's interesting. Because to do that, to, to, even, to even perform that sort of stuff in the context of a yes. show, when it's, when it's not a regular part of your world, that's, yeah. okay, and it's it's Go. something that naturally, yeah. And yeah. in my life, I have seen. It's just I don't know. This we had we got to do something called uh, sexual autodrama as part of the rehearsal process, which was tell your 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 sexual awakening or your story in ten minutes in some kind of performance. And it was through exercises like that that made me really look at what does interest me. And in specifically in that scene, I would not say that that is hands down something that I want to do all the time. But I found what was erotic about it. And to, to be able to, I mean, we talked about every, everyone in the show. The cool thing was everybody that was a part of this show got to decide what it was they were doing, what roles they were playing. So we had these roles. We had a meeting, and everybody had their stuff. And it was like, all right, you're going to be a part of this BDSM scene with Meredith. And I was like, cool, awesome. And then it was rehearsal week, and we looked in the rehearsal thing. It's <laughs> like, oh my god, I, the flogging what? is going to happen on Wednesday at ten thirty in the morning. <laughs> oh um, but to explore that, the coffee first or yeah. something like, geez. Yeah. But to explore that with her, and so much safety, and so much communication, and so much uh, for me respect, and just understanding of that. There is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of that or any of the, the, these erotic things. There's no shame in it. And, and to be able to um, be a part of that scene and, and demonstrate that with the partner and then have the very important um, moment where we connect after the scene, which I think is really important to show that there is, there is that connection between the two characters. And to see the faces on the audience and walk through them with the, the cattle or the flogger in my hand, um, I could feel everyone's energy. And it, as that character, as myself, as my friend, as the performer, all of those energies in the room was electric. And that yeah. really brought immersive, erotic performance to something that I was like, this is something really, really new. <laughs> well, well, and, 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 and I definitely want to want to get your take on it in a second, Meredith. But, but to go back to this idea of like, you know, the map and the seed and the DNA of the show... Uh, being, being you know, obvious if you could find like the the picture, like this idea that you guys went through the the question, like, oh, are we really going to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is this something really happening? And there's a moment the way you guys stage that scene where it's like, oh, are they really going to do this? And then you're there, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you could like the temperature of the room. It's like the air thickened, mm -hmm. is how I perceived it. Mm -hmm. And what was the, the, one of the reasons why I asked the question about observing is like, I I became really conscious of a couple of people there are a couple of young ladies who like I could see their their breathing changed and I was like oh snap they're like into this right and then like <laughs> looking around at other people think okay that guy's not into it these people are like purposely masked jaded 
I'm observing the crowd, so I guess I'm doing a dodge. Like, even to the point where I was like, oh, I'm observing everybody, so clearly I'm, you know, trying not to perv out here or something like that. And then watching the two who were, like, clearly in and, like, just seeing, like, their breath rate change, I was like, whoa. And then that there was like, wow. Powerful. They're, yeah. Very it's like, powerful. Like, they're, and just the idea that they're comfortable enough to be that free with themselves yeah. in the space yeah. while you guys are, are tackling. And all it is is allowing sensation. Yeah. It's allowing sensation. Yeah. We're not asking them to jump in or take no. their shirt off or anything. It's no. just, I don't know. Well, and then, and then over here, then there, was this, there was a storytelling. I mean, sorry for everyone who's not seeing, like I'm gesturing with my left hand because like right to my left was where this, there was this, this sort of forest story. There was a story about being like ripped apart. And one of those I went up like on the floor, we were all lying down, kind of bedtime story style, listening to the, to the tale. And one of the young ladies who was very into the, the BDSM scene was like sitting right now next to me. And she was really into the story too. And so that was interesting. It's like, she would be like being torn apart, torn by and just like, you know, she started to make little sounds. And I was like, wow. Like, did something in the tea. Yeah. There's some, <laughs> was there something in the tea? Because like, you know, but like it was, it was, uh, that was. That was interesting because it became it became as much about the audience's um, experience, mm-hmm. like creating mm-hmm. a feedback loop. Yeah, yeah. Um, the energy is palpable in the room. Yeah, especially, and that's what you know. We're not forcing anybody to stare at it, but look at it and watch it and see however you feel about it. For you know, in this exploration of erotica, everybody had moments of saying, "Well, this doesn't. Maybe this doesn't." This isn't something I would say turns me on, but I am activated by it. Or there, this yeah. is erotic in nature. Yeah. Um, I can I can watch a scene about two schoolboys passionately in love and having a, a scene on a ladder. That's and I can see what's erotic about that. Yeah. And in the moment, I'm that's not I'm not like oh man that is that defines what turns me on. Yeah. But, and for the audience to be able to look at that and, and, and for men to be able to look at a scene like that and say, I can see what's beautiful about that yeah. is so important. And for the same with anything that's in NSA Alley or Fetish Town or the garden with the meditations, all of those things are important for people to just be able to and experience it and get turned on. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're all here. You know? And to be able to feel the energies of the people that are having that, you as the audience and as the performer... It's a lot of energy to process, but it's exciting and it electrifies you at the end of the show. You're just everybody's having drinks and talking, and you can feel that energy of we all went there together and we're here. Well, let's just you know ele- we've, we're elevated beings in a sense. Yeah, I felt like a little cheated because I had to like go drop someone off somewhere like <laughs> right afterwards, and I was like having good conversation. I was like, oh, I gotta drive someone to a concert now. Um, I don't want to leave. I nearly thought about coming back. I was like, that'd be kind of weird. <laughs> well, you should have. It would have been four I, of us, and it would have been great. I should have. I should have. Um, I don't know, Meredith, do you want to talk about what, what feels like now, the infamous scene yeah. at all? You know? um, yeah, I, I, I actually couldn't see the audience for most of the scene, so I was I really, don't know why. why? <laughs> what was going on? That, so no. <laughs> I was really, like, just really feeling the energy of the mm. audience sort of behind me. Um, and was I was really grateful to have two partners, Scott and Cole, in that scene that could sort of hold space for whatever was happening with the audience so I could sort of just 
be where I was in the scene <laughs> and not really have to, because it was difficult sometimes. I mean, there was a night where someone was like laughing. He was so like titillated and like nervous that all he could do was like laugh. Oh wow! And I, I was really affected about, by it. But yeah, that and night. we thought and I was just we like, thought maybe he didn't like it or yeah. He thought it was stupid, and then we met him afterwards, and he was just laughing hysterically still. And he was like, "This is this is the most amazing thing," and I just can't stop laughing about it. And we're like, "Oh, okay, that's yeah. what it was." He was, but in yeah. it was really was like, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ner- nervous laughter is one of like the hardest things to process from an audience because it can really throw you. Because exactly, like yeah, you know, like, and and it's it's bad enough in a proscenium show. Because yeah. it's like, oh, some, some asshole's laughing at us. That's great. And, like, we had, back in college, we had this one guy. I mean, he was, he was just a nervous laughter. He just laughed at everything. And so we called him the laughing man. And he came to all, like, the brown bag shows. <laughs> and it, it, some, of the, some of the people got really upset about it. And some of the people were just like, hey, he does it all the time, you know. And it was, it was frustrating. But, you know, like, you're, you're 22 and you're trying to, like, get through your art. And, like, some guy is just, like, laughing at everything because, like, that's his reaction to Everything mm-hmm. like you probably if you took a hammer and hit his toe he'd laugh because uh, it's how he processed it. Well, that's I think that's what's really important. Something that I I felt and kind of um, communicated to people where we all talked about it was that it is for us we have to be confident in what we're presenting and the material that we've worked on and what we've rehearsed and our partners and the connection that we have and to not adjust a performance or tame a performance because of what the room seems to be reacting to or the way in which they're reacting Mm. to shy away from something because somebody's laughing or people are kind of closing their eyes and do specifically in that scene or many any of the scenes where in the NSA alley scene to tone down the violence because somebody's affected by it these these scenes are they've been worked and rehearsed and we've decided what what the piece is so to really hold on to knowing that it's not for us to to judge what their reaction is, or if someone walks out of the theater and has to take a breath, or if someone laughs during the entire show, that we have to hold true to what it is that we've rehearsed and to the material that it is that we're presenting to these people. Let me dial into Fetish Town uh, the, the before the, the culmination scene uh, and, and sort of the design of like the, the one-on-ones and the, the two-on-one experiences. So like, where yeah, where in the development process did the idea to go that way come along? And is it something that you're thinking of playing in a larger form? Because I really do feel it could scale up. Yeah, we will, I think. We've talked about that a lot. Um, and I think even for the next iteration of Erotica, we want Fetish Town to be bigger and longer and have more opportunities for people to explore. Um, mostly because that was... There's a lot. There's a lot of. There was a lot of differing feelings. Some we call them different worlds, and some people were like, "NSA Alley is my favorite world in the entire world. It's so great." But I would say overall, most people loved Fetish Town, yeah. and they wanted to stay there forever. Yeah. That was something we heard a lot. It's like I could have just been in Fetish Town forever. I could just keep playing. It was so odd and sort of dark, but also fun and oh, whatever it was. The secret. The secret sauce to a lot of this stuff is the the one on one or the two on one experience. Mm. You know, it's like that. You don't get that intimacy with the performer, and I got to do the the webcam bit. Yeah. And what's fun is like you know, you're doing a confessional, and so you just start. Okay, I'm going to tell an actual story. It's like, yeah, sure. Like no one else is going to see this. This isn't being recorded, you know. And 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 in some ways, like that opens you up in a real nice way to like whatever else might come along because yeah. you're kind of like 
you're ha- getting permission to unburden your soul a little bit. Yeah, um, and it's so cool because each one-on-one in Fetish Town was treated, we called them all vignettes, but it was treated, it had its own director, it had its own rehearsal time and mm. slots, it had its own erotica, written erotica as part of it. Most of the time it came from an exercise or it came from an idea. Um, and we didn't really even know the how much of a game it was going to be. We didn't know about if it was going to be tokens or not. We didn't know if it was of all of those vignettes were going to be in Fetish Town. We just it was so organic how it came to be. So Cam Girl was something that we wanted to explore because of technology and sex and sort of a modern day fetish world that's happening online. And we wanted to explore the BDSM because that that is something that most people think of when they think of fetish, but that might've been a secondary thing that came to us when we thought about fetish, because when we, we thought about this town of fetish, it was obsession to us when people are turned on by being obsessed with something. So everything, the closets, all of that happens so organically, just the way the dance or the scene in all the other worlds did. And it just shook out that way. It shook out that they happened to be one-on-one performances, but they each one-on-one vignette or performance has so much merit and so much um, thought into it, and they stand alone. So it wasn't like we are making Cam Girl for Fetish Town. Cam Girl, everything you just said, Scott was like putting his hand up in the air because he directed that piece. Everything you said was what we built into Cam Girl. We wanted we 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 think about. Yeah. Um, experience a lot and I think theater makers do but we say the phrase experience based work so outside of whether it's immersive versus environmental versus proscenium it is the experience that counts so it's really about what is the audience where do we want what are the millions of possibilities that they could experience with cam girl what are they going to feel how far are they going to go and we had that for each of the one on ones and they were so like they were their own pieces and then all of a sudden it was like wait a second this is a game mm. and then Fetish Town was born which is kind of cool you talked a little about uh, the next iteration uh, maybe that's something to, to kind of get to so you're what I thought was interesting about the way you guys handled retrograde is like so you turned it into a monthly thing like you, you staged it every month is that mm-hmm. something you're looking for here you think you have like iterating on this theme putting taking things in and out having be kind of like malleable like where's your where's your head at right now i think ideally we run the show in a slightly bigger way we want some of the worlds to be a little bit more immersive as far as set goes and we want to get some of our ins and outs a little slicker because we only did it for two weekends it was the first time we ever did it some of these concepts are very new some of them we pulled from other shows but to bring 40 people in and out of all i mean like you said we aggressively use the space in a non-traditional way and it worked yeah um but i think we could get better at it and we want time to explore that and some of the things we want to blow out fetish town have it be longer and have more things like that so we want to keep exploring the piece as it's structured now for a full run four to six weeks and then I would love for it to be an experience like retrograde that would happen once a month past that but we at the moment we're looking for donors or investors or whatever that's partnerships Mm. to make a run um, happen in the way that we think will best suit the play because we want people to know about it and LA theater needs a good amount of press in order to get butts and seats yeah 
for a longer run yeah. at the moment. And also, um, an iteration that all possibilities exist in a bigger space where the space of this entire warehouse is Fetish Town. <laughs> and NSA Alley is in a big alley. And the Romance Barn is in a barn connected to whatever the spaces is in Berlin. Or, you know, I think, I mean, I think that having a show that goes into these sexual natures and er- erotic and, and the vulnerability of everything is important for American theater and just for theater in general that it can be presented in a way that's healing or freeing of shame or just showing it in a sense you know it's like thrilling journey yeah it's like in a in ratings they they allow violence to be in PG-13 movies or PG movies but no sexual scenes of any kind of nature yeah get bumped into R or NC-17 if you're really going for it you have to see something like blue is the warmest color to see two women in a loving passionate relationship and understand it but you can you know see Wolverine stab anybody he wants well, at least Deadpool's getting an R rating, so yeah. at least there's that. Some, something's going right in the superhero world. Yeah, um, and he's tapping into some erotic nature in that. <laughs> well, the, the, the leather fetish side that Ryan Reynolds clearly has. Um, I can't believe I brought up Deadpool, of all things. Uh, but you brought up Wolverine, so it's your fault. It's your fault. My apologies. Um, I want to roll back to that, that idea about L.A. theater needs a lot of press to get butts in seats, mm. uh, because I feel like we're... We're at an interesting time in LA, and by interesting, I mean in that that old Chinese curse style interesting times. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, LA Weekly just, you know, Zach Pincus Roth just left for the yeah. Washington Post, and like they don't he have. He was a huge champion of us, which is great. He, he was a huge champion <laughs> of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Zach is a losing Zach is a blow. Stephen Lee Morris has just stepped into. Um, LA Stage Alliance, which is like really good for Steven and I think hopefully really good for like theater as a whole in LA, but like to, to have like one of your leading critics, you know, have right. to take that mantle off for a while uh, is, is interesting. And I know that they're, they're doing, looking at what they can to like keep Stage Raw rolling, but that idea of the, the threshold of like how do we keep rowing an audience here, particularly when we watch Theater Row has. This is starting to go dark, like this this deep irony because like it was officially recognized by the city last year, in the year that like two or three of the places that made it worthwhile disappeared, and we're we're at this sort of like, on the on the edge of a blade. And meanwhile, where you guys are situated, literally, you know the warehouse district is is blowing up. You know, like we're half a block away from where the next Soho house. No, we're next door. You're next door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. block, you're right. Yeah. I think. So, <laughs> they like, are my literal neighbors. Yeah, yeah, they are your closest neighbors. There's a lot in between y- you and them, right. but like that they're there and then the the running group or whatever is going to do bring over the the buildings right behind the uh, American Apparel buildings. They're like doing a whole office building thing over there that's like right next to the Alameda Food Center. And there's these weird there's these opportunities cuz like they're talking a lot about like oh we want like artists and whatnot cuz we want to make this hip and cool and, like you know, bring people here. And you do wonder how long that's going to last until they get all the stuff put away or like can it turn into kind of a London-like situation with Theatre Delicatessen where it's like, oh, you're going to develop this you know, office building? Great. How many months are you going to be like in limbo? How long can we use it to do yeah. whatever crazy stuff we want to do? Because that'll make it awesome. Well, that's, that's something that we're going through right now. And it's, I think, very important 
that a space like this is here in this neighborhood where there's so house to our right and there's bestia down the street and american tea room across the street and there's all these great establishments but there needs to be spaces there needs to be spaces for artists community and, and community for artists. and for yeah. artists and for healing arts and performing arts to come in those doors and feel that openness whether yeah. it's theater row whether it's the arts district and i it's we talk about it all the time about you know what level of activists do we want to be i mean i i think that it's it's to me at this point in my life one of the most important things that i'm doing is making sure if this is all I'm doing is making sure that this space on this street is a space that people can come into and create art and there's 20 artists in here a night that call this home and spend a five hour rehearsal process creating a show that means something and that mean, and that's why these developers are able to put these things up and put these buildings up and that's where the money is coming from so and for theater and for people that are running the spaces and running the venues you push that out you kill the city so yeah that's, especially that's, downtown, because especially there's so much opportunity downtown. for a walkable city. And so much magic walking into, just being able to walk by something like this and be, be able to pop into a show, that needs to be here. It's in London, it's in, it's in European cities where they hold the arts as a very specific you know, point yeah. in their culture. And I think that's, I think Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, really has a chance to do something really cool. And, and we're on board. They are. They and they are. are. We have the Arts District Council is really on our side. We yeah. have to get new permitting for, we have to go get all the permits and all the licenses right now for performance. We got too big. We got recognized <laughs> Best of LA weekly and things like that for theater, for comedy, and all these things. And so the cops are coming. They won't let us do anything anymore. They're shutting us down. So. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and they we're not in trouble for anything, but right. we have to go legit. So we've been underground for the past two years, and we've been successful and doing having lots of people here every weekend for everything from theater to crazy multimedia events that have just really blown our minds how much art there is in the city, and we love holding space for it. So we're going to continue to do that, and our neighborhood is up for it. So we do have architecture firms that want to help us through the permitting process, and we have... Um, the local council is helping us with fundraising. So that's a big part of a lot of uncertainty that we have in the space. Um, but it also comes back around to talk about the idea of how do we get butts in seats and something that I've learned from having a background in, in running venues in London, New York, and now here in emerging um, with emerging theater companies and emerging neighborhoods in all three cities is venue identity. So if you have a space like play and there's an audience that knows that they can come down and see theater on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and it's going to be good, then anything that's here will sell. And the programming is good across the whole year, and it's varied. Some things are for money and some things are free. Some things are um, supporting a certain level of emerging theater company, and some things are a Reggie Watts making a ton of money for a fundraiser, and you just programming across the whole thing the venue identity is that no matter what you see here you're going to have a good time and it's open and it's playful and it's fun and it's collaborative for the audience as well as the performers so that kind of thing will bring people to see theater venue identity so i think that's another reason to be an activist just insofar as keeping spaces like this alive yeah and i know it's and there's a big piece that morris did in, in a column and it's so large that i haven't finished reading all of it because he it, it got down into like real 
civic level details, like quoting some some laws and whatnot or, or bylaws, it seemed. But talking about you know how a lot of the theater companies have gotten trying to get priced out by rent, you know the very the very thing we've seen in other cities happen, and to go back to that theme of like you know there's this idea that these neighborhoods get renovated and turned into places where you know people can live, but it's like well people were already living there, and if they're if by live you mean sleep in an apartment and then wake up and go get coffee and then go to work and then return to that apartment, then yeah, I suppose you could call that life. Uh, but it doesn't sound like living to me. Yeah, why do we want to build all these tiny boxes to live on top of each other if there's nothing in walking distance to do? Yeah. We just want to live in a tiny box? No, we oh, want man. the art. We want to walk. To, we want that. I mean, that's yeah. why we want to live in the tiny boxes because we all want to be together and we want to have community and we want to connect. And you want to be close to the action. Instead, yeah. If, if, at least if you're in a small box and you can leave your box yeah. <laughs> and go out to a slightly bigger box where there's art going on inside of it, that which might great. itself involve small boxes, boxes that people yes. are placed in. Exactly. But you know, that's the metaconceptual side. Right. Boxes. And we think there's room for everything. Bring the fancy coffee, bring the condos, whatever it is, but let's keep that urban development, including the arts. Yeah. And I've actually found in LA people are up for it. So let's see how it, how Especially it shakes the, out. The Arts District community is super supportive, and that's what really excites us that there are people that have been here, and we know that we are new to the neighborhood, but, and there are people that have been here for 30, 40, 50 years, and when there was nothing here and some of them are getting priced out or pushed out. And yeah. so there really is a support system of people saying, we know this matters, and the city knows it does, and the art sister councils do, and they fight for it every day, and that's what they have meetings for, and that's yeah. what these architectural firms are doing, and other artists are saying it, it matters. So, I mean, it's, it, part of it comes down to like the city's soul. You know, I always, I'm always thinking about this interview I heard with Werner Herzog, you know, talking about how people don't realize that L.A. is one of the art capitals of the world, and they're going to they're gonna figure it out sooner or later there's all of these working artists in this town yeah. and that's and that's in every sense of the term there are dancers there are choreographers there are actors there are directors there are writers there are visual artists you know and a good chunk of them work for corporate media and then have gallery showings or side projects they do or they do theater and then there's a lot of people who are aspiring or like they get some of the work done but like there's no there's no room no, I don't know where that sentence was going. The point is, you have to have the oxygen of a living art scene yeah. for for the the journeyman artist, the journeywoman artist, to be able to have their creative life. Because otherwise, yeah. it just sterilizes and dies. Also, if you zoom out and look at the um, output of LA in film, mm -hmm. and the filmmakers are living here and being influenced by the art that they see, oh, it's yeah. all just swirling around, and we really are the makers of the future. We are predicting what we're going to want to see and do in our lives and through art. It's just huge. LA is a, is a huge artistic powerhouse. Mm. It's a magic city. I, I've really fallen in love with it and call it, it feels like home to me. I stand, I, you go to Griffith Park at night or at any time and you look over the city and you can feel it. You can mm -hmm. feel it in the air. It's like, and everyone knows it. They kind of have that little sparkle in their eyes, I think. The people yeah. that I'm meeting on a day-to-day -day basis that have the little sparkle, like, yeah, we're here. And this is really exciting. There's going to be a Hyperloop thing. They're going <laughs> to sit San Francisco in 45 minutes. Give me a break. And it, like that, that kind of oh, stuff. I, I mean, 
Yeah. <laughs> We've been waiting for that for a long time. <laughs> I mean, think of what that'll do for open and polyamorous relationships. <laughs> at least from San Francisco to LA. At least. At least from San Francisco. I mean, we could definitely use San Francisco audience in erotica. That energy would be great. You could definitely use the San Francisco of the 90s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a, well, that's why you're here. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little... Uh, a little cynical about my old home stomping grounds these days. Although the people who are who, who are up there who listen to this, they're they're definitely of the the proper spirit. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a fight there's a fight up there. We'll, that, buy, and, we'll uh, buy their hyperloop ticket when to see the show. Well, and, but you know we're being silly on one level, but there there's something to this idea I think for California as a whole, where like it it, it feels like where we're sitting right now, literally in the arts district in Los Angeles, like this is- Center of the universe. Well, and it's the, the, the last battleground for like, will California keep its creative soul? Mm-hmm. Like this is where the fight is. Because if we can do, if we can make it be what we, what we know it, what it has to be. Yeah. Because, you know, the Citadel has fallen in San Francisco. That's Google Town. You know, Oakland is fighting right now, and I pray to all the things above and below that Oakland can maintain its funkiness. But, you know, Uber's taken over the Sears, and I can just feel it getting priced and strange. And so right here, you know, I mean, the great thing about L.A. is it's freaking massive, so, like, maybe we'll be fighting this fight in Silmar, you know. Well, keep the word out. Get the word out. And I think it's about collaboration. I know it's about collaboration. Yeah. Just in the two years that we've been operating underground, we have two um, spin-off sister spaces that have opened with the same model as Play. And they are holding space for artists in an underground way, but they're slightly outside of the arts district, and they're still operating. The cops haven't come yet, and yeah. the city hasn't come for money yet, and everybody's nobody's getting hurt. Everybody's having a lovely time. Um, and that kind of thing is happening. So yeah. I think if we can sort of set the stage and demand from our community that we want to stay here and we need your help collaborate with us to keep us here and if we can show that model for the next step then these other sister spaces can go there and we will prevail whatever you guys need from from us or from any of us listening who want to help fight the fight like on the permitting side whether it's like there's a zoning meeting that you need supporters to show up to or if there's a crowdfunding effort at some point you know to to get some money going for something like don't ever hesitate to to knock on the door because that's the the point of no proscenium is to make sure this stuff stays stays alive and like and there are times when i worry i mean the funny thing about we have the the bay area edition and it's a struggle sometimes to keep that one going precisely because a lot of the most interesting stuff is firmly underground Mm-hmm. completely illegal like takeover of space parties like San Francisco is still a place where they will break into the conservatory of flowers and throw a giant fin de seal demi monde party <laughs> and then take with like a fully functioning bar and then take everything out the back door and then re-enable the alarms because they don't just break in like they break in like Mission Impossible style like oh we deactivated all the cameras it's on a loop Maybe they don't mm. go that far, but I think maybe they do go that far. <laughs> um, they've got the skills. It's you know, the person who wrote the software is like at the party. You know, it's like, oh, I just do my master password. Um, <laughs> but, but they, they, you know, they don't want to talk about it. So it becomes that paradox of like, well, mm-hmm. how do you build an audience and sustain it? 
How do you keep it accessible? That's something that we ran into in the past two years, which excites yeah. us about going legit, is we can finally call it from the rooftops. Yeah. We can say, this is Blake Library of Arts, our doors are open, come on in. Yeah. And we want it to be accessible, and we have so many free shows and cheap shows, and we, but we're not using Facebook, and we're not, um, some of that is because we we want to do art we don't want to do admin or <laughs> that kind of thing some of it comes from that but some of it is um this balance of being accessible but also relying at the moment on word of mouth because yeah. we can't get too big and yeah. when 400 people show up to something here yeah um we're like, excited that people want space to create and experience experience-based work and collaborate but it's it's not sustainable and then how do you how do you make it so that people come to something like a theater show that's avant-garde? Yeah. <laughs> you need to be able to call it from the rooftops. Yeah. And we can't because we're not legit, so we will. But we filled every seat for it was, you know, a two weekend run, but every every show, every seat was filled, which was exciting. Mm. And awesome. I think yeah, for great. me, I mean, after I was uh, being a part of retrograde and then now doing um, erotica to see that many people interested in game to come in and experience erotic-based work at, and theater and immersive theater and really just dive into it and the way they were reacting to it, that is so exciting to me. That it's like, this is something that's interesting. This People do want to see this and they will come to these shows. So once we just, just figure out all our permitting stuff, you know, it's... Yeah, I think that was one of the most amazing things about Erotica was to see this like community of people that were really excited about the work we're doing here. The end. They're just excited about it. Yeah. And they want to support it and they want to experience it. And it was really amazing to see that after every show, during to, every show. Yeah, to have the city of artists that you're talking about, it's, it's really great to have a space where they're coming in the doors and we can say, yeah, do that here. Turn this whole place into a campground for your screening of your web series. You know, th those kind of projects that people have so much creative stuff that maybe they're working that corporate job and they just want to explode it into a warehouse venue. That's, you know, that's it's great. We even established collaborative artists that are doing, there's a lot of filmmakers and web series and theater. There's nowhere to go. There's no space. Yeah. They would have to start their own space. Yeah. So, and a lot of companies do have a space and they don't share it. And sometimes we think about that. We're like, we could just program the whole year, but it's, it's, we, we want it to be collaborative. So we want to hold space for other people to enjoy it. Well, I think, I think there might be something in the long run of there being a couple different types of spaces and there being people, you know, one doing collaborative spaces and two, there might be spaces that if you got to, if we live in a world where some of the more established regular theater companies, and experimental theater companies are like losing their leases. It might be like, well, there needs to be like four or five hubs. And this mm -hmm. is something Stephen Lee Morris talks about. Like, what if there are hub spaces? Well, those hub spaces may be home to multiple companies and may have like parts of their, there may be something constantly going through. And so it starts to look more like, um, oh, what's the technical term when it's like, like a, rep not a repertory venue, but like a venue where like everything's always like a show that's like shipped in mm. and nothing native. But like, it may be like, no, there's like, four companies that share that space over the course of a year and are constantly programming in and out yeah, of it. Yeah, and those companies still have a full month to rehearse their, their piece in the space that they're performing it, especially with these new models of interaction with the audience. You really need to be in your space. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's exciting. I would 
I would love to, to find, I mean, we're already making new models every day, but I'd love to collaborate on a higher level to make new models for more people. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a need, needful thing. Um, anything else? We've been out for almost an hour. Anything else you guys want to crack into? I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm happy. Well, well, thank you for too. everything you do for yeah, the community in yeah. LA. It's a lot. Thank really great. So much. It's, I, I don't. I don't do nearly as much as I could or should, but we'll, we'll fix that. That's <laughs> what this year's about. You can. Yeah. You are doing. You're doing a ton, yeah. and it's great. It's everything is ISIS. Cutting all this. It's <laughs> <laughs> important. It's important to be. Um, for us to be thankful to ourselves for what we're doing. That's something we're looking at each other. It's like, we're not doing enough. We're not hosting enough artists. And now we have, we've been dark for two months because the permitting thing. And it's like, wait a second. We are doing a lot. And it's important for us to like keep ourselves going. I, I will admit that when I put up the, the, la, the, the podcast that went up this past week, uh, it had been almost a month since we had done one because like everyone was out of town. And it was hard to schedule anything. And so we did a... We did a, a talk over Skype with uh, our man in New York and our new guy in San Francisco, and it was a lot of fun. And like, we'll probably do, we'll have that as a filler when we need to. But just the the act of you know logging into Libsyn and uploading the file and writing the thing, I was like, oh, I missed this. <laughs> you know, it's like the the doing of the thing yeah. uh, often is is the point where you're like, oh yeah, like this is this is it's kind of its own reward. Well, that's. That's what we're doing in this process right now while this specific space is dark in a sense of taking in events or doing those things here. We're still living in here and creating and writing and doing all that we have to do, but we are going to restart up um, our Tiny Rhino drinking game and the ugly shots and those things in the year because we have to keep creating the work yeah. that inspires us, that inspires artists, and still giving those artists a home. We just have to find a different home. Yeah, so but we have another we have another space where we're working at it. Keep an eye out for those. Yeah. Well, and whenever you want something publicized, uh, let us know. And when you want something to go on a quieter word of mouth style, <laughs> there's uh, there are alternatives to fighting. I'll just uh, quote Obi Wan Kenobi, and uh, <laughs> and that's the third dork reference. So I guess you probably, if you want to play the drinking game, you should look for the nerd references and not the double entendres. That's the sad part, but that's maybe a little more true to form for me. All right, uh, there'll be a cold close or a warm close after a cold open and a nice long chat. Hey, I just want to thank Cole, Meredith, and Scott for being on the show today for our wonderfully frank discussion about everything. This issue about uh, plays uh, struggling with the the status of their venue, uh, it really strikes home for me. It is so important that we keep these spaces that are experimenting available to the community. And by the community, I mean both creators and audience. So there's going to come a time, not long from now, I hope, where there's going to be an ask to pitch in. That may be financial. uh, It may be get some bodies down to a council meeting. It may be a letter writing. when that time comes, I'm gonna let you know, and I hope that people step up, even if you haven't been to the venue. That's a big ask. I don't usually ask for stuff like that. Um, I I might even I might even help coordinate some of that stuff for them, like give them some you know an extra brain to sort of pick and bounce ideas off of. 
uh, I'll, I'll let you guys know because you know me in transparency. It's, it's very important that you know, um, you know, what am I getting out of it? So I'm never going to ask you guys to do something uh, that I wouldn't do myself and I would never conceal what relationship I have. I'm, I'm just nerdy about that. It's just, just the way I am. Sorry. That's my hang up. Hey, uh, you didn't need some weird rambly at the end there. What you did need is uh, how to find us because for some reason someone said, hey, listen to this. And you're like, oh, cool. And you liked it. And I and, and that means you're a weirdo. Uh, but you're our weirdo. And we're your weirdo. And weirdos need to know each other really well. So here's how you do. If you have tips or hints or, you know, cocktail recipes, you email them, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. Uh, if you like talking to us on Twitter, at no proscenium on the Twitter. You can find us on Facebook by looking up no proscenium. You can find us on medium, medium.com slash no dash proscenium. I will be writing new things there soon. I swear my writer's block is broken, so it's happening. Uh, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. That's how this podcast is made possible, like listeners like you, by listeners like you. I said that wrong. Whatever. Um, hey, uh, that's enough. That's the show. Uh, there's there's a number of things I'm going to be out and about seeing soon. You might see me there. Uh, I hope I hope you don't see me at, at the, the rebirth thing because that, that'd be weird. Um I mean, I know I'm giving someone a ride home that night, but it'd just be weird. If you see me there, don't don't say hi. If you're part of the people putting it on, please don't don't let me know you listen to the podcast. I'm really apprehensive about this one, guys. I, I don't it just it, I don't know why. I'm chicken is what it is. I eat a lot of chicken, so I am chicken. That's just that's how that works, right? Um Okay, that's enough. That's enough rambling. Uh, you hate me by now. You'll never listen to another episode. And yet somehow the numbers always prove that's not true. Until our next episode, until a, a nice sea of sanity in the, the madness that is my mind, uh, I will see you at the show. <laughs>